Hey, producer Jenny here. The Talking Feds team is just back from the Texas Tribune Festival, where we recorded some terrific episodes. One that's in your feed now about the latest in the endless Escher painting that is the Trump investigative landscape, but also a really strong episode coming soon about voting rights that is really just a must listen. Before that, we were in San Francisco taping episodes about Russian organized crime and a really thought-provoking episode about a troubling topic for me personally, the federal death penalty, with a last-minute guest who is sure to generate some, uh, what's the word, interest. Go check out Harry's Twitter feed if you want to know who it is. But back to Texas, sometimes the best episodes happen because another episode hit a snag. You think you're doing a huge, weighty episode about the presidency, and the next thing you know, you're going for huevos rancheros at Cisco's in East Austin. Credit to Matt Miller for the recommendation. And then Joyce Vance suggests we invite Mika Oyang, vice president for the Third Ways National Security Program. Mika had a long career on Capitol Hill, which turned out to be invaluable for this episode. When I walked into Cisco's that morning with my bag of microphones, it was like the Saturday breakfast version of that famous Edward Hopper painting, Nighthawks. There was Asha Rangappa at the counter, Matt and his awesome mom Debbie finishing up their breakfast, and when Harry and Joyce arrived, we had a quorum for a casual, no-holds-barred discussion that really is the ideal that drives talking feds. Just a bunch of regulars sitting in the back of a great breakfast joint, trying to figure out what's going on in the political and legal landscape we find ourselves in. If you sometimes have this show on in the background with kids around, we did drop some F-bombs, so there's your one-minute warning. Otherwise, enjoy, and here's Harry. Welcome to the inaugural edition of Feds in Taquerias Talking Trash on Trump. We are here in Cisco's in Austin, the best taqueria in all of Texas. And we are here today with an unbelievable collection of Estimal Feds and some great Mikas that are arriving at the table now. But we have around the table Matt Miller, Jenny Josephson, our producer, who may jump in now and it, now and again on this, Joyce Vance, Mika Oyang, Asha Rangappa, me, and Debbie Miller. And our topic today seems only fitting given the tumultuous week we have and the months we're looking forward uh, to. Are we fucked? Uh, so, 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 feds, that's the only topic of the day. I, there, I've broken the profanity barrier, and now I've said it. You guys can feel free. It's been broken. Feds, are we fucked? Are we or Trump? The country. Harry, we've been fucked for at least three years now. The better question is, are we about to get unfucked? And I think possibly. Is that for a word? the first time in a while, I think possibly. You know, I think everyone at this table has very strong feelings about what Trump has done to the country, what he's done to uh, the executive branch, the way he's abused his office. And uh, people were hopeful all through the Mueller investigation that at the end of it, it would result in some kind of conclusion that would lead to, uh, at the best, his removal from office. That obviously didn't happen. And, you know, for the uh, in the last week or so, I think the evidence that we've seen of continued misbehavior or misconduct on his part... Uh, it, 
it's the first time I, I, I think in a while, I at least have thought there's a chance that there may be some consequence for him. Okay, but, and, but, then, but then how does it look for the country? Let's give the, the best case scenario, and he really is sort of, um, you know, exiled in, in permanent um, shame and disrepute. What's the country look like then? How bitter will, will the conflict have been? Does it actually augur, you know, peace in our time? When will this, you know, national nightmare truly have, have passed? And that's, of course, if it plays out, as you say, you know, and, and maybe others around the table think that's a little rosy. So, you know, I, I view this as a, a really sad moment. I mean, I, I get that there's been a lot of jubilation this weekend with people being really happy about this news. I just don't come from that place. I, I just think that we're in a place of profound sadness thinking about what this president did. I see Matt like rolling his eyes at me, but I'm sincere. What people did, we all took oaths, right? The people around this table, we served the country and the Constitution. I don't think any of us would have done what we're learning about today. So I think there's a lot to come. It, it may have a, a good outcome, the political process. Who knows how that's going to play out? Trump is very good at taking what looks like a clear political path offline, but it's not a happy moment so, for us. So let me just say one thing before. So the reason I was rolling my eyes is I've had that sadness for a long time. I didn't get sad about what he's done when I saw this revelation this week. I've been sad about what he's done to the country and what he's done to, to the executive branch. I think this was the first time in a while I felt some hope and some optimism. Probably too rosy. Probably probably optimism that'll be dashed as it's been dashed ever since he came onto the national stage. But at least a little bit of optimism that the abuses of power we've seen for three years will finally catch up with him. Well, okay. And, and then do you think, you, you know, everyone will, will then say how they've been against him all the time and, and the... And the Checks and balances will be restored, and what about the you know embittered Trump base? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of want to set people's expectations a little bit here because I think this is really important that we're taking this step and we're saying this behavior is unacceptable for the president of the United States and the chamber that is constitutionally empowered to hold him accountable is starting that process. But I don't want people's expectations set so high that like this is going to result in him leaving office and the end of our long national nightmare. It's possible, entirely possible, that we go through all this, we are treated to six to nine months of hearing more and more and more about the abuses that he's committed as Congress investigates and, and we have a trial in the Senate, all to have the Senate refused to remove him from office. Now, look, I, I, rem, I retain a glimmer of hope that there's so much frustration with Trump that this is like the tipping point we had with Saudi Arabia and Jamal Khashoggi where, like, everybody's frustrated and then all of a sudden something happens, which by itself probably wouldn't have done the difference, but on top of all the other dry tinder out there sets the whole thing on fire. And maybe they just say, I can't take this anymore. I'd rather have Mike Pence as the president. And, like, we're moving on. But I'm not confident that that's going to happen yet. And is that better? Turns to Matt Miller. Like, is that better? Is is what better? If that at the end of it, you have a Pence acquitted? presidency. Um, yeah, it's absolutely better. Look, I I disagree with Mike Pence's politics. I think he's been a coward throughout this administration. But Trump is a is a singular problem as president of the United States. Apart from politics, apart from policies, he is singularly unfit. He's a you know he's 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 a, a demagogue in the way that Mike Pence is not. I would. It's hard to think of someone. In the, it's hard if you looked across more than 300 million Americans. It actually is hard to think of someone more dangerous as president than Trump. So 
absolutely Pence is But better. I would put one asterisk on that, Matt. I, I agree with you. We don't know how direct Mike Pence's role was in the Ukraine issue. You know, he was over there. He met at the president's request. He made some statements in a press conference following it. We need to know if he's complicit in this whole scheme. He may have some some implications as well. Uh, sure. Look, he's a he's a cold, cowardly politician like others. But I, I agree with Matt that you know that I mean Trump. I think is the first president who never even had any political experience could actually come to the job with the sort of deep doesn't even try to to have nods to democratic institutions or morality. I want to say one thing in in support of matter that I agree with, which is. Even if there, no one around the table is, is looking at removal, but what, a, what an important boon for the country if the goddamn, uh, that's two profanities, um, Senate Republicans are forced to say something, to take some stand about the aberrant behavior we've been seeing for years that they've been able to duck completely. That alone would, you know, I think be an important moment for the democracy, not not just politically, but for the broader uh, points at stake. I'm sorry, Asha, I think yeah, I Yeah, I think that there are two variables that we just don't know how they're going to play out and how they could impact the outcome. Um, one is that Trump is crazy. And he, the more he loses control, and I've said this on this podcast before, that he will spontaneously combust as we watch. Um, he may continue, he may commit more crimes um, as he tries to stop uh, impeachment from happening. And that, that can be a scary prospect. But in other words, I think as his deterioration becomes evident, I mean, and I think it will because he, he has issues, narcissistic issues, you know, these authoritarian tendencies, that could alarm Republicans even more than, say, the underlying complaint. The other thing is that this particular issue, I mean, the difference between now and the Mueller investigation, which largely concerned uh, his activities during the campaign, is that they're taking place while he's in office. And it is leaving a huge bureaucratic paper trail, which is leading to many other people. We've already seen a resignation of a State Department official. I think the trail will lead to, obviously, Bill Barr, to head of the Office of Legal Counsel, Steve Engel. In other words, there, there is a way in which what is happening now is... A scandal along the proportions of something like Iran-Contra, less like something uh, like Monica Lewinsky. Do you know what I'm saying? In, in terms of right, having even to Watergate. take it seriously. I mean, there was a whole, yeah. you know, John Mitchell went to jail. Haldeman went to jail. Ehrlichman went to jail. The whole crowd was sort of cleaned out and, 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 and then thereafter was in sort of permanent disrepute in the history books of the, uh, the democracy. I mean, you, you know, you wonder if that's possible. You also wonder... Uh, Matt, although I don't want to get too much past you, if if there is a sort of Goldwater moment, uh, you know, ahead for for Trump, who's Goldwater? It obviously is not going to be, I think, Mitch McConnell. Who who has stature in the Senate to actually, and I don't even mean trying to talk sense to him, but actually break the uh, the monolithic uh, hold on his. Well, so I think there's a scale, from, and it goes from people who are most likely to do it at one end, and it slides over to people that are less likely to do it but would have more of an impact because they're less likely to do it. Mitt Romney is the most likely person to do it. I think he'd have less of an impact than, say, someone like a Lamar Alexander who's been in the Senate for a long time and is an institutionalist and probably doesn't care too much for Trump. 
Ben Sass. They you probably see, all don't care too much they, for they, Trump. They all don't, True. but some of them. But you have your Tom Tillis and David Perdue's of the world who are absolute cowards. Your Tom Cotton's who are never going to do anything. Lindsey Graham has kind Boy. of fallen into that category. You would have thought him in the former. He's but clearly Lindsey Graham in, just tweeted in, this morning that, oh, it's just hearsay. There's nothing to it. Nothing to see here. Y- yes. Look, Lindsey Graham gets easily captured in these things. Mika, I has, just, Mika has the, the best uh, retort to that I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. No, look, I mean... What? Linda Tripp. Right. No, look, the secondhand witness thing, it's like, you get secondhand witnesses all the time, right, who start these things. Again, Linda Tripp was not a firsthand witness to what happened with It's President where Clinton. every public corruption but, case starts. But... I would just say, like, if you're looking for who I think is the litmus test, we're here in Texas. I think Cornyn is the question, right? He's up for re-election. Wow. He's a traditional Republican. The question is whether or not he thinks he can survive this with, the, with or without the president. And does the president help him or hurt him? I think that's a really important person to watch. And if he doesn't break from the president because he thinks that he will go down on his re-election if he doesn't stick with him, then that gives you a really strong indication of where the caucus is for the Republicans. I just want to point out we have one really strong nod on my left, <laughs> Debbie Miller, uh, who if you could see her, you would, you would know immediately whom she's related to at the table. But the name, the name also helps. Does anyone want to make her point, including Debbie? Yes. Um, as a Texan, I would be thrilled if John Cornyn would stand up and do what's right. But we have no hope that he will ever do that. I agree. I think John Cornyn would be the 75th or 80th vote to convict the president, not the 67th. You yeah, know, he'd go after he'd go after everyone else came along and, and made it happen. I, he's, he's I, I wish you. I, I hope you're right, boy. I, mean, I, I don't see it. When you look at the numbers, though, like you, you're probably going to get right. You have to get over a certain threshold. You need at least 15 of them going together, and like even then, it can't just be barely that. It's going to be at that number where it's like a significant majority. So. You know, Romney, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, those guys, right, who feel like they were libertarians, they can't stand this sort of overreach on the president. I think they're more likely. But it's really when you get into traditional Republicans who are Republican and deeply read before Trump walked in the door who say... Like Lindsey Graham? Well, Lindsey Graham has... just Lindsey Graham was in the House when I started. And, like, let me just tell you, Lindsey Graham is somebody who is, like... Head case? No, it's not just that. He is like, um, you think he's Theon Greyjoy, but he's really Reek. Like, he is submissive to power no matter what that is. He was like that to Newt Gingrich when McCain was the nominee. He, like, cozied up to McCain. As soon as McCain was gone, he went to Trump. He tries to find the power center in the Republican Party. And, and yes, totally, like, like I become submissive to him. I thought he was going to be Snape. Nope. He's going to be one. Snape has too much gravity. Yeah, I thought he was going to be Snape um, early on, and I think one of the enduring and from the disappointments too. I mean, he's got to walk back some pretty serious. Well, one of stuff the enduring disappointments of this administration yeah. has been Lindsey Graham's apparent loss of his spine. I thought Bob Barr was right? going to be Snape. Bill Barr. Yeah. Bill Barr. I've made, Sorry, I've Bill made Barr. that mistake many times. Yes. Yes. I, no, nobody comes second to me, me on that. Mis- yeah. I, I wrote that piece in Slate during the confirmation, saying that Barr shouldn't be confirmed, and took so much abuse from so many people. For and you're still taking it, right? I, I, was there, I was there with you. Chuck, no, no, Rosen, no, no, Chuck was Rosenberg was on the... Oh, I see. I, I thought uh, that he should not have been confirmed. I see. Can, can we talk about Bill Barr and just what role he is playing in this whole 
And what Deba- he's doing uh, in I Italy, right? It. He apparently left for Italy after this broke on an unscheduled trip. Matt, you know a lot about Attorney General travel. Does that ever happen? I don't know if it's unscheduled. It was unannounced. Um, so Attorney Gen- Attorneys General do go to Italy. I had a great trip to Rome with, with, with Eric Holder. We had, we, had, we had a nice time. Not announcing it to the press is very odd. We, the, the Attorney General always announces when he goes overseas, so I don't know what's going on there. Is there um, a return itinerary? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Is there an extradition treaty with Italy? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure we have one. Do you think there's going to be a moment in the next? Um, everyone seems to, to to think it would be a, a really huge uh, change and dynamic for uh, anything like a removal to happen. Do you think there'll even be in doubt? Do you, do you think there'll be a week between now and the end of next year where it, it, some kind of actual? Trial will be, you know, there never was with Clinton, for example. No one thought for a day he was going to be removed. Is there, um, do you expect the same dynamic here, or, or, or do you think there'll actually be some drama to this at some point? We're only a week in. I right. suspect that there are a lot more shoes to drop off of this centipede, right, to quote John McCain. It, it's going to get worse for this president. The question is whether it will get bad enough to put pressure on these holdout Republicans. And I noticed that Trump was very quick on Twitter to try to line up to sort of shore up his support. One of his early tweets was to, to my senator, Richard Shelby, almost right after the whistleblower story broke. And it's interesting to contemplate what's keeping these Republicans from commenting. Really, if I hear... <coughs> Cheek. Yeah, it's a, it's a good place, isn't it? It is. It's spicy. <laughs> It's spicy for Alabama. It's for Texans. It's mild. <laughs> exactly. You call this spicy, Joyce? Do not start. <laughs> um, can, I, can I say one thing about that? So I think in this question about what Senate Republicans will do, I, I, I'm with everyone of not having a lot of faith, but I think the most interesting dynamic this week has been how quiet a lot of them have been. Yeah, they don't and know people, what to and say And people yet. interpret that a lot of times. Oh, look at what cowards they are. They won't say anything. I actually look at that differently. The fact that they're not saying something means... They don't know where to. They don't know where to go on this. They don't I mean, know. The White how House bad is screaming be. at them to say something, yeah, right? And, People uh, are yeah. presu- presumably, and I think partly they don't know what shoe is going to drop. And I think partly the really important dynamic is the one that Asha mentioned, which if you were going to try to set a percentage on whether the president is going to be convicted and removed from office right now, let's say you set it based on the current events at twenty. You really have to factor in the the chance that he does something worse, that he makes his problem worse, and they have to know that. I mean, when he goes out and threatens the the other witnesses in the case as he did the other day, he's making the problem worse. He's he's increasing the chance, I think, that some of those exactly. people are willing to come forward and testify and make his. You know, well, and, and, point. And, and I mean, here's he a good did this after all, yeah. after yeah. the Mueller he, stuff. You, you can see brazen. him going into a death spiral. He of his will own go making. into a spiral of shame. Um, my question to you guys is. Do we think, as I said before, that we have um, you know this now bureaucratic paper trail? People are going to be implicated. So, will there be? I think it was Preet on Twitter who said it's CYA time and it's going to be first movers who get get the advantage. So, as prosecutors, I want to hear your. It's thoughts. a slightly weird dynamic, right? If this was a normal administration and some U.S. attorney was going to pick up this case. All these folks in the White House with exposure, their lawyers would be jockeying to have their client be the first person to cooperate best deal. What do you do when it's Congress? And we know from... 
And there's not going to be a special counsel. Well, and, and well, here's the deal. You know, we know from Ollie North and from Iran-Contra that when Congress off. gives people immunity, that can sometimes impair a future federal prosecution. I'm not sure anybody is going to want to take that risk. So it may be that it takes a little bit longer for folks to come forward and cooperate. I kind of have a different view on this, and I actually think the Volcker resignation is on the day that he got the subpoena is actually really instructive. Right? Like we took give, us, te- give us the facts of that so, for people right, who don't Kurt know. Kurt Volker, who was the special representative, special envoy for Ukraine, who was doing it as a private citizen, a form, he's the head of the McCain Institute, had been trying to sort of figure out and, and deal with and sort of cabin the damage that Giuliani was doing. And the day that he received a subpoena from the House, he resigned. Now, one of the things, and, and I saw this when we did investigations and had Comey testify when I was on the House Intelligence Committee, a federal executive who is a former federal executive who wants to come forward and testify to Congress, the executive branch has a hard time invoking executive right. privilege to gag that person from testimony, which says to me... Doesn't stop these guys, but they, but they legally... But this says to me that if that Volcker wants to talk, yes, right? That's what that says to me, his resignation. And so then the other thing is, and I, I kind of disagree with Joyce on this, right, the... The congressional grants of immunity that were given in Iran-Contra were given to people who were actually at the center of the thing, and they weren't really trying to get to the president. There were real questions about whether or not Reagan was even with it enough to have approved the stuff. So you got to be careful about at what level you're doing this. But when we're talking about the bureaucrats who put stuff into the database, who are witness to these things, who are worried that they might be feeling facing obstruction charges but aren't part of the attempt to bring pressure to bear, those people getting testimonial immunity would encourage them to come forward and be honest with Congress as witnesses as to what's going on. I agree with that. The problem is whether Congress can give immunity that will carry over if there are subsequent criminal prosecutions. And Congress can't do that. Congress can't say, here, Mr. Witness, we're giving you immunity from federal prosecution. So what the witnesses will have to do is hope that they get the Iran-Contra result, where they, they found out that they couldn't be prosecuted only after they were convicted and a long, drawn-out appellate process. Well, there's That's one, a big there's risk one important to take. exception to that, by the way. So, first of all, um, you're, she's exactly right. Although they can make um, make it that the uh, prosecution can't use any of the things that they said in testimony, but there's actually a provision in the Whistleblower Protection Act that says they can provide the whistleblower, and I think this is one grand immunity we'll say. They yeah. can give the whistleblower immunity. The Department of Justice gets to weigh in, but it doesn't get to veto, and that does insulate against any criminal right. li- liability. And I, I see but that. But it's not happening. just this whistleblower. Remember, whistleblower protections run to people who come to Congress with allegations of wrongdoing. So it's not like this whistle. It's not like there's only one pass on this that one person gets and then everyone else is screwed. People who are subpoenaed by Congress and are told, you have to tell us what's going on, there are constitutional protections for that communication. And so Congress is going to really push hard to protect people, especially if the only charge they're facing is potential obstruction for not testifying. Yeah, as a defense lawyer, though, I'm still hesitant to let my client do it because Congress can't put you in jail, but, but a U.S. attorney I, I, and two I, I, I think most of, the, most of the witnesses we're talking about aren't going to have criminal liability here. Yeah. It's a, it's a very small number. I they're part of, of taking stuff and putting it on the wrong system. I, that, I think the problem is we don't know the facts. Yeah. They do. And it's a scandal, uh, but, but, and they will be but, scared. Well, but, they will know. be scared, but that, I think that's actually the key point. The thing that 
brings institutions down when they face scandal is when key players, key individuals decide that their interests have diverged from the institution and they have to yeah. protect themselves. And sometimes yeah. protecting themselves means testifying so you're protected. Not in a legal sense, but if you have the president careening around inside the bureaucracy trying to retaliate against witnesses, you have these witnesses that say the only way to protect myself is to actually come forward. And I might lead That's to the removal of the president who can't then retaliate against me. Yeah. The whistleblower yeah. has given a roadmap to Congress that, that the witnesses aren't named, but he names multiple yep. U.S. officials throughout the They'll be easy to find. They'll be easy to find. He's going to presumably identify them to the Intelligence Committee. And all of those individuals, I mean, I, I think the thing that's going to determine how this goes in a, in a, to a large extent is whether those people are willing to come forward and talk. And it, at the, we've seen political appointees in this administration so far not being willing to do so unless it was in the Mueller investigation when you know they were they, they had to do it or they were going to have to go to the grand jury and the, and the president kind of authorized them. No one's been willing to come to talk to Congress. I, I just have the feeling it's going to be different here. I agree. I, I do too, and I think actually Pelosi, I criticized this at first. I think she made a really smart move yeah. spreading the jurisdiction among many committees. There'll be some really sort of low-profile staff interviews in this committee or that. It won't be the Klieg-likes moment. It won't be like Fawn Hall. You'll just be able to go in, talk to a staffer, have the testimony on record, and keep going. And that, of course, will also help something they, they're trying to do and that's smart to do, make it fast and focused on this charge. Yeah, um, I sort of tend to agree with that, although, I, you know, I'm not looking There's a strong endorsement. The well, I, I say that for this reason. Congress has not been a strong, focused performer. And, and I don't mean that as a critic of the committees or the people involved. The, the process is messy. It's bulky. Um, typically, people play by the rules to some extent in this situation. And this White House has said rules, no, uh-uh, you know, we're not going to show up. So I'm not positive what we see going forward on that front. Two quick things. One, this is a different committee. Two, they're getting a lot of offers of help right now. Oh, really, Matt? Do tell. <laughs> and three, I just think the political landscape is different. I don't see how the White House can just, you know, unilaterally with every little witness try to play the same, you know, stalling game with meritless legal um, submissions. On the removal piece, I, I have another thread of discussion. I'm interested in your takes. Do we believe that Trump has the capacity for rational evaluation of his his outcomes? Because it seems to me that there there comes a point where in his if he's a normal, sane, rational person, that if it reaches a particular tipping point, it is in his interest to resign. Having made arrangements to be pardoned for all of his actions while in office. Potentially, and I know that you, this will make viewers mad, potentially negotiate or, or be able to give a pardon to his family members, maybe even cut a deal with New York Attorney General and step out and then go and, and create his TV empire and walk off the face of the earth um, or at least walk yeah. out of the Oval Office. Will he He's do that? He's always going to be with us. He's going to be with us yeah. forever. But will he do, you know, and, and in my opinion, I know when I have posited this before, I get a lot of angry responses that's like, no way, not until he walks out in an orange jumpsuit. And I'm like, you know what? Going back to what Matt said, the destruction he has wrought on our institutions and our government, I just want him out. Getting him out would I be a virtue. I just want him 
out and he can do like even if it means he walks free forever right. even if it means his kids walk free I would be willing to make that trade a do you think he would or and or do you think the American public would stand so, for that I think really it's not so much about what he would do or, or sorry what we would want and what is just and fair and like you know makes people feel like people have been held accountable for wrongdoing. It's really the first question you asked was like, what would he do? And I feel like he would see it as weakness, right? Like, I don't see a scenario where he's willing to flee the White House, like, even with pardons, because, like, he just won't be able to make the kind of money that he wants to make. Look, I was in Ukraine a couple of years ago, and Why he... Not? Why would he make the money he wants to make? He could create a TV and probably make more money than he's making now. No, because he, he, the thing about what the way that he's making money now is entirely because everyone is trying to curry favor with the president. Otherwise, bookings are way down at every single one of his resorts. Deutsche Bank is the only bank that will still lend to him, and there's some question about what's behind that. I think that he's looking at real financial ruin the minute he leaves the White House. And I think that, like, he's probably calculated that. Like, all the bookings at Trump Hotel, those are foreign governments. The, the only reason that the, that airport near Turnberry is still alive and that Turnberry is still happening is in large part because he's sending U.S. military personnel there. Like, I think he's in real trouble if he can't use the powers of the White House to direct revenue into his real estate holdings. Can and I, uh, my counterpoint to you, I think that he could... Like, he has enough of a strong base that he could say, F all y'all, and take the entire leveraged. viewer base of Fox News to his own television Absolutely. station and be a disruptor on the side, decimate the Republican Party, and just say goodbye and make totally and agree his way with to that. the bank. He's been trying to take out Fox News for the last six months. I mean, why, unless that's part of his future? I'm going to agree with Mika for a different reason. I think he will never cut a deal and leave. I think he will resign under no circumstance because resigning is admitting defeat. Yes. And he is never able to admit defeat. If he leaves, it's going to be because he's convicted by the senator or voted out by the voters. I have a hard time seeing an award. And, and, and he will leave saying he's been treated unfairly. And he will go out the door saying it was a travesty and the deep state finally got him. I have a hard time seeing him walking out on his Do own. Do you think volition. he'll walk out the door voluntarily if it comes down to it? Oh, my God. What I don't think it'll be up. I don't think it'll be up you to him. You think marshals will come in? Yeah. I think, I think, yes, I think that people will have to be like, look, the constitutional process has worked its way. You've been removed from the White House, and now you have to go. And the real question, right, like, the director fake of the Secret news, Service is news. not... He's not a loyalist, right? The director of the Secret Service is not a loyalist. Esper is not... It's committed to Trump, as they think. Like, I just think that, that that's... That if the constitutional process works its will, he will be escorted out of the White House. But I do not think... That he's, you know, Viktor Yanukovych, who's gonna like get on a helicopter and like flee to Moscow. He's not, right? The Russians are not <laughs> extracting their assets this way. <laughs> Hi, Jenny again. So as I was sitting at the table trying not to get my microphone cables covered in queso, I had so many questions. If you have questions for our feds, we have an email for that. It's questions at talkingfeds.com. You can always ask us questions on Twitter or Facebook, but email is a really simple way for me to find them. That's questions at talkingfeds.com. Okay, back to breakfast. I, I do have a question for Mika. I'm okay, so wait, process. Are we coming back yeah. in? Right. Okay, so uh, Mika, we're lucky to, to have you, say, and, 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 and Matt to a, some degree. Sorry. Sorry, Lynn, I should ask that question yeah. she was about to ask. 
So just shut up and just have yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to shut up now. Asha, could you grab the mic and ask a question? Then you can follow up. So my questions are, what is Pelosi's... I mean, you said that it makes sense to spread out these investigations across these committees. What advantage does that confer? Is the impeachment inquiry formally happening only from the Judiciary Committee? Or are they all now doing impeachment inquiries? Like, it's kind of confusing. They haven't been very clear on that. Second, my question is the subpoenas to Pompeo include you know, taking depositions, right? Or have they said... Documents. And depositions. But and depositions so I, of people I didn't know that Congress could depose people. Like, So they just yeah. do this in private, behind the scenes, yeah. just yep. like a regular court deposition. Yeah. Yeah. There's no procedural guidance in the Constitution on this. And even on House rules, it doesn't say what has to happen. Like, there have been a variety of ways in which impeachment investigations have been conducted in the House in the past. Presidents typically go through judiciary, but Spiro Agnew went through a special committee, and so they were starting an investigation when he cut a deal with prosecutors to avoid prosecution. But the way that Pelosi has this set up now is that she's called on six committees to do investigations, named them formally as part of an impeachment inquiry. It's very clear that this, because this started with the Ukraine whistleblower... She needs to do a resolution... No, not for the investigative stage. She just needs to say what this is. Eventually, a case on this from a ju- from a judi- from Nixon, uh, Walter Nixon, a judge who was impeached. He he, he challenged it because it was through a committee. Court said you, you, whatever you want, Congress. Right, exactly. Because there's no specific constitutional guidance, so like they, nobody can challenge that. So basically, she's saying this is part of an impeachment inquiry. The the articles of impeachment themselves will likely be presented through judiciary and voted on judiciary and sent to the floor, but it's possible they could go straight to the floor. The inquiry itself, though, can be done across a range of committees depending on their jurisdiction. And it's actually smart to spread it out because this is huge. The number of allegations... There are six different committees engaged as of now, and that doesn't include armed services, which may have some information that can gather here. But in spreading the bandwidth, what you get is there are a lot more staff and councils who can be involved in gathering the information, reviewing the information, taking on different pieces of this. So, right, it's very clear that they have issued the subpoenas to Pompeo through Foreign Affairs because that's the committee that oversees the State Department. But they've said in the letter they've consulted with Schiff on this question. So Schiff is very clearly sort of the the strategic force behind this whole thing. Does Trump have any... Does he get to have his own lawyers and cross-examine any of these people at this stage? I saw that Ross Garber suggested that Clinton did in the in the House stage. So what was that that and why would this be different? So that was different because you had an independent counsel, right? Ken Starr, who was investigating, and that was part of a... A lot of the investigative work that was done was part of civil suits against the president where he did have the right to challenge. I've taken... You know, we've taken depositions in the House on... um, specific oversight issues related to a variety of sometimes classified things. Um, You can take those with staff. They're basically staff interviews. Um, You don't have to have them as adversarial at that point. The president will be entitled to lawyers when it goes to the Senate for the trial, right, presided over by the Supreme Court justice. And those don't have to be politicians. He's probably better off legally that they're not. The impeachment managers tend to be members of the House. And conveniently for Pelosi, she has a ton of former prosecutors to choose from for that group. I think that by the time you get to trial in the Senate, the president will have seen all the information that's out there provided by people. But I don't know what the procedural set is at this stage. 
in some impeachment inquiries, they will pass a resolution that sets out what the procedural powers are of the different committees. She has not done that yet. So now they're just relying on their traditional oversight powers and subpoenas um, and request letters to be able to get where they are. Um, They could try and amp that up later with a formal resolution that changes the the procedural set of the committees, but they haven't done that yet. And just to state uh, the obvious corollary there, in me, it's been so frustrating in these months since the Mueller report came out. You know, first Congress will discuss, shall we call McGahn and then call and then fight and, and then have another skirmish one at a time at a time. And the, one of the great virtues, maybe the greatest of the broad span is speed. You're doing things simultaneously and there's a real sense of momentum now for the Democrats that Pelosi doesn't want to lose. You know, I think one of the unanswered questions here is what role the Attorney General, William Barr, has played in all of this. It looks to me like we're now at a point where the Justice Department declined to open an investigation into the whistleblower complaint because Barr or or someone in his orbit made a decision that getting opposition research from the Ukraine getting Ukraine to open a criminal investigation or prosecute a case against your key opponent's kid and maybe your key opponent, that that was not a thing of value. That is a calling in the ultimate support from your attorney general, an attorney general who has proven time and time again that he is not the people's attorney, that he is the president's. And that, I think, is one of the biggest questions. We need to know the facts. We need to know what happened. But Bill Barr is in Italy, presumably eating lasagna. So So we just don't know. (laughs) So I I think there's something really interesting about Bill Barr here. First of all, I think you're right. DOJ's role here, the way they set up this catch-22 up where this whistleblower complaint should not go to Congress. It should come to the department to investigate. But, oh, by the way, we're not even going to open an investigation. Oh, but by the way, even if we did open an investigation, we, of course, can't indict the president, which is the reason it's supposed to go to Congress in the first place. They set up this bizarre system where the president is basically above the law. But the interesting thing to me here is the language that's been coming out of DOJ the past week about Barr. Barr has never been afraid to take a bullet for the president until now. He stood up at that press conference and completely defended the the president, I think, bent the law. He you mean na- the Mueller press conference? The, the Mueller press conference. Ta- talking he, about he, the report. Talking about the report. He announced the investigation into the origins of the FBI probe. He has been time and time again taking the president's side. And I think he took the, He obviously took the president's side here. But the message from the department has been, ah, Bill Barr didn't have anything to do with this. People down below. The criminal division made the, the decision on prosecution. Um, it was OLC that made the decision about the fact that this whistleblower complaint shouldn't go to Congress. He was generally aware, but wasn't involved. It's the first time we've seen Bill Barr show some si- show some knowledge that this is a real problem, and he doesn't want to be anywhere near it. And I think that's a pretty big difference from the way they've treated things in the past. And let's remember, in the complaint, I think this ties a few loose ends together. The investigation into the origins of the Russia probe, which I had always thought meant, you know, going back and making sure that the FBI did everything by the book, appears to be connected to this whole Scooby Rudy scheme <laughs> to try to go to Ukraine and pin the entire. It was a 400 pound guy on a bed exactly. in Ukraine. Footnote 9 in the complaint says that Giuliani claimed that he was going to Ukraine to gather information to provide to 
Barr's investigation into the origins of the Russia probe that's currently being handled by John Durham. So also the Connecticut U.S. attorney is kind of involved. So do they, did they know this? Were they authorizing Giuliani to, to do this? Is that what the, or, the spying on the spies or whatever was about? I mean, it is shady as F. So there is shady as fuck. I think shady as fuck. I think is what you're trying to say. (laughs) There is a buried question here that's I think just speculation at this point. But it's clear that that John Durham, the U.S. Attorney in Connecticut, highly regarded, who is tasked with uh, taking a look at this, who is I feel certain running a grand jury investigation in addition to just talking to witnesses, and you have that happening on the one hand. You have Rudy Giuliani apparently tasked with, a, at best, a parallel investigation. If there is any bleed over of internal DOJ investigation, and by the way, it wouldn't be the first time that Rudy had good FBI sources, right? I mean, we heard a lot about that during the Clinton email investigation. If that's going on, it's an abusive DOJ process. There could arguably be criminal conduct. The problem, I think, of this administration is every door that they open leads to a new investigation. And now we have to investigate the investigators who are investigating the investigators. It's a mess. It's time for Trump to go. Yeah, well, and Giuliani is in a very interesting position because in some ways he's the ultimate loyalist, even to the point, unlike Barr, of, like, lunacy. I mean, we've seen, we've seen him wig out on TV, but they have the most leverage over him. Look, he's a private citizen who went completely upriver on his own, and, and, and nobody in the State Department is going to back this version that he was some kind of emissary, and they're going to really be able to peel him off in terms of jeopardy. There's going to come a time where his arch loyalty is really starkly pitted against his personal interests. Quick question for the prosecutors that maybe is, is a way to end this. Could Rudy Giuliani do an interview uh, with investigators on the Hill, either behind closed doors or in public, without making a false statement? No. <laughs> That's a good two, two words or fewer, I think, to, uh, to end the thing. I'll, I'll, I'm going with um, fuck no. Fruity G. <laughs> Hard pass from Mika. (laughs) I'm not a former prosecutor. I just think, like, Rudy has very clearly lost it. So I I don't even know. The problem is I don't know that he brings any credibility to his testimony because he's so all over the place. He contradicts himself within a minute. So, like, how do you even know what's true? Yeah, although if he's looking at the pokey, you know. (laughs) The pokey? Oh, did you answer? You didn't answer the question you posed, did you? I I thought the fact I posed it meant it was rhetorical on my part. Okay, well, I mean, I think at this point we're all kind of having to roll out of here with the, the queso and biscuits and beans and salsa we've been devouring over the course of this extremely fun 45 minutes. Thank you very much, Matt, Jenny, Joyce, Mika, Asha, and Debbie. And uh, thank you, Cisco's. Uh, it lived up to its reputation. It will surprise no one that after the episode ended, the feds just kept talking. What's happening? Right up to the point where Matt's mom drove everybody back to the festival. Special thanks again to Cisco's. If you're in Austin and you just want a fantastic breakfast, they were so gracious and friendly. And they've got really cool art and memorabilia. And of course, the food is incredible especially the queso. Talk to you again soon.